0: Today on Foodstuffs,
1: Jess speaks to the organizer of a new event that aims to match women working in the hospitality industry with female mentors.
0: Then Brian finds out how one Toronto based company is stuffing buttercream into 3D printers to the delight of drunk event goers everywhere. My career has been based on the reaction of bad relationships. Right. And a matter of survival, and so. um I started styling because I was in another shitty
1: relationship. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yet they seem to be great inspiration
2: in some way. The build platform or the cupcake that you're printing on will lower just a little bit, like the thickness of a layer, so that printer can print a second layer of icing on top of that. Typically we can't get more than one or two layers before the icing ext- uh, creation falls or over or collapses in and in itself. I'm Jonathan Minetta, I'm Creative Director for MakeLab, and you're listening to Foodstuffs. Fantastic.
0: Welcome to Foodstuffs.
1: A podcast about food and culture.
0: And their intersections. I'm Jessica Walker.
1: And I'm Brian Goman.
0: If you remember back to the first episode of this season, you'll remember my interview with a woman behind the parody Instagram account at Chef Jacques Lemaire, uh, Christine Flynn.
1: How could I forget?
0: (laughs) Uh, Well, when we parted ways, there was a promise that there would be more coming from her in the near future, which brings us to our first story today.
1: So Jess, you went to an event uh, co-hosted by Christine and a woman named Kyla Zanardi this week. We'll hear more from Kyla in a second, but maybe you can tell me more about this event and how it came to be.
0: If you'll recall, in my conversation with Christine, we discussed her motivation for creating the Chef Jacques Lemaire account. And many people had sort of thought that this was a comment on bro culture and kitchens. Um, and it turns out that that wasn't the case. If you haven't heard that interview, you should probably just go back and, and have a listen to it. Um, so I'm not going to tell you about that. But nonetheless, it did bring about all these discussions around women working in the industry um, with Christine. and This, in combination with Christine meeting a woman named Kyla Zanardi, who uh, is a restaurant owner here in Toronto and works in food media as well, Um, the two of them coming together kind of led to the idea of creating a space for these discussions, which resulted in the idea to create the Women's Hospitality League, which is an event for women in the food industry where they can come together to create kind of a support system for other women working with food and hospitality, um, which is... I think it goes without saying, a traditionally male-dominated industry.
1: Okay, so this is Jess speaking with Kyla Zanardi about the Women's Hospitality League.
3: So when Christine and I kind of reached out to each other and we were like, let's grab coffee. um, Our first coffee was awesome. And we were like, why did it take so long for us to connect? Despite, you know, really admiring, you Mm -hmm. know, she's an executive chef. She is so knowledgeable. We just really had a hard time reconciling why it took so long. And Mm -hmm. it was... Okay, so from this, I think that, th- I think we're on to something, like I think maybe it's something a bit bigger than just this coffee, mm-hmm. um, and how do we just kind of facilitate a really accessible, positive conversation for women in the industry to come together, and that's where, you know, the seeds of the idea for
0: the event. And so who were you thinking could also benefit from this, and why did it need to be beyond just the two of you having coffee?
3: Um, well, you know, I think that I,
0: I have a lot of
3: conversations about gender in the workspace and I have a lot of like one-on-one conversations with people about that. I also have a lot of uh, conversations about whether it's the need for mentorship and I just really, I think that we really were like, why don't we have an open conversation where there are a lot of people in the room and it's not just us,
0: you know, trying to be hush hush about it or something yeah and just
3: hearing each other speak like for me it's just as valuable as saying you know for someone that's like i really took a lot from the event as someone saying you know i really wish we heard more about this Mm -hmm. i think um those are all things that kind of feed into the need for this type of conversation i also think other conversations are happening simultaneously in our industry that are very valid and very important. Um, can you give examples? Yeah. So I think Gen A with Mitch and Kitchen. I think it came at a time when, uh, you know, we really needed to have those conversations in the city. You know, we were really trying to wrap our heads around West Lodge. And for what those who, yeah,
0: for those who might not be aware of that scenario, can you just give a brief synopsis?
3: Yeah, so West Lodge is a restaurant here in Toronto and um, there were a number of female employees that uh, had basically put together formal human rights complaints with the, the Human Rights Council and um, really brought to light some serious issues about uh, sexual abuse and kitchen uh, culture. kitchen culture and what women are experiencing in our kitchens. And for me, it, like, actually started a lot of really interesting conversations in our kitchens, mm-hmm. too, you know? And I think that that's a much-needed conversation. Um, I also think, on the, the other side of that, it's really important to have conversations uh, where we're highlighting really great work that women are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're facilitating an environment where we can connect with other women that are doing great work mm-hmm. and we can you know, ha- have a space of mentorship. I don't know what that looks like and I think that's where the groundwork for today really
0: comes about. Sure. Um, so, just kind of linking them all together, is it fair to think about it like the West Lodge situation happened, Gen Egg and Bitchin' Kitchen was a direct response to that where you're just sort of reclaiming something Bad that's happening, and just putting a name on it and, and seeing that happen. And then from there, just trying to keep that conversation and getting something productive out of it. Where, what is the need here? Maybe we need mentors, maybe we need women feeling strong enough that their voice and their perspective can help other women come into it, or, or is that a reasonable link? Yeah, t-
3: I mean, I think those conversations still have to happen like side by
0: side, okay. right? I think mm-hmm. there
3: still needs, we still need to like address very real issues that are happening, um, but with that I think it's like companion material, mm-hmm. if you will. I think, you know, for... The light in the dark. Exactly, and I think, you know, for us, it also means bringing men into the conversation and men into the fold and really understanding what it's like uh what the experience for men in the kitchen is because i think you know i've said this before patriarchy affects men and their own understanding of identity as it affects how women relate or uh deal with patriarchy
0: yeah Um, it's as harmful to men as it is to women
3: i think the way in which were affected by it is very different Mm -hmm. but I am really interested in those conversations yeah um and I'm really interested in for me just as like a young female entrepreneur connecting with other female entrepreneurs to be like what like what would you say to your younger self Mm -hmm. like what would you say when you don't know if the next step is the right step or if what you're going through is real like do i put in the towel or do i keep going like what was that conversation to you and i think that is a, that's a really important conversation to have period mm-hmm.
0: you know yeah, yeah absolutely so fast forward to tonight mm-hmm. who was in the room tonight
3: so we had a panel of uh it was facilitated by the amazing Paige hem mm-hmm. she is a radio and tv personality uh does a lot of work in the food space, so she facilitated a conversation with um, Jen Cummings from Pluck Tea, from Ren Navarro, from uh, Ladies' Beer Drinking Society, um, Johanna, who's a prop stylist and food stylist, and then, uh, last but not least, the founder of TUM, Hashella Villas.
0: And TUM is
3: Toronto Underground Market? Yeah. hmm Yeah. And how did it go? I think it went really well. I think this focus was a lot on mentorship and, and kind of where we're at. Some really cool, interesting things, I think, that came out of the top. And some women talked about this duality between imposter syndrome, which right. I think is so interesting. Yep. And like the, the geek and nerd in me is like, let's talk more about that. <laughs> like, Why do we come at the table with that? And, so,
0: and for those who don't know what imposter syndrome is, it's essentially the feeling, and I've heard it a lot in conversations around gender lately, but where you are in an industry and you feel like you're faking it and that everyone can tell. Yeah, it's literally
3: feeling like you don't
0: belong at the table.
3: Right. And I found that to be really interesting. It was something that a lot of the panelists were talking about. I also heard feedback about, you know, I heard women be like, you know, I feel very confident at the table. And I'm like, that's so cool. Like,
0: Tell more, me how that works for you. More you know? about
3: please. Yeah. yeah, you know how does that work for you? And I think I'm just super interested in like what that looks like for everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I i wanna I wanna hear about that because I don't think all of our experience is the same, and I think that that gets challenging when we all start telling the same story. Mm-hmm. And maybe not being and what I loved about Johanna was that she had such an honest story about like how she came to things. She said something that really struck with me. She was like, I came to all these different career changes through relationship breakups. Like, yeah. And I was like, that is the realest thing yeah. I have heard, because like I get that like no other. And that, that's what I mean in terms of like hearing different stories, I think. You know, she spoke to an experience that so many people related. I, I felt like I related to and I definitely saw, you know, an inhale when she started talking <laughs> about it, like in the room, like it was palpable, like everyone got quiet and it was a really nice
0: kind of component
3: or mm-hmm. it was, it was a nice, it was nice to hear amongst everything that we were hearing, right? For
0: sure. Um, and Christine really identified that as a beautiful moment because she speaks, everyone sort of, well, shuts up, and then also leans in, mm-hmm. like yeah. be quiet and lean in and like create the space for this person to say something that is completely against their nature <laughs> to do on a regular basis. Um, so that was really beautiful and special. So what are the plans for the future of the Women's Hospitality League? So I think a lot, uh, we're really,
3: going to take in everything that we heard tonight mm-hmm. and really kind of map out what that looks like. I think with the one thing that is really top of mind for me and Christine is to facilitate a tangible way to like make these connections real after the event.
0: Mentorships. Exactly. I kind of
3: think. Yeah. And like, even if it looks like coffees or, and you know, we're really exploring what those possibilities are. And then, you know, also with the next panel, looks like, you know, what the next event looks like. Um, And also formalizing for us, Christine and I were just like, let's do a, you know, uh, a really great night. It's just super casual and, you know, really accessible. And, you know, we didn't really think about sponsors and things just kind of beautifully naturally evolved. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, what does, what does the future of WHL look like? I'm not 100% sure, Mm -hmm. but I think it'll be very much guided by what happened tonight.
0: For sure. So, when is the next one? I don't know, but I foresee one happening in the near future. Amazing. It's happening, just stay tuned for one. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much, Kyla. I really appreciate you staying and chatting with me. Cool. Cheers.
1: So that was Jess speaking with Women's Hospitality League co-founder Kyla Zanardi.
0: And I just wanted to mention that she is the owner or co-owner of a restaurant called Lisa Marie, which is actually where the event happened on Monday night. Um, and she owns a food truck and she's part owner of a food media company. And, like just a super powerhouse woman. Such a
1: cool, very, very busy, cool lady. Yeah. Well, that was a really interesting conversation about a really interesting conversation. <laughs> Yes. Um,
0: there's work. a lot in there. Yeah. Yeah.
1: There's a lot. There's a lot we can talk about. But I wanted to talk about that West Lodge uh, case. Yeah. And she mentioned, or you were talking about the conversations that sort of spawned. You work at a restaurant. Uh, yeah. What was, did that spawn any conversation at, at your restaurant within the kitchen?
0: Absolutely. I think any restaurant that, you know, sees itself in. The Toronto food scene, for lack of a better word, um, was aware of what was happening and was having conversations around that. Um, and it, the whole thing, I think this extends well beyond uh, just the food space in Canada right now. Like, there's a lot of these conversations in all sorts of different realms happening, whether it's the personal, the private, the workspace, whatever. Um, and so, if anyone's engaged in conversations in any of those areas, it's a learning curve right like it's for those who experience it it's their every day and it's trying to articulate something that has gone unnoticed forever um and then people who as a result had zero awareness that it was happening um in this case men not knowing that women go through these experiences in every element of their day and their lives um so it was it was a situation like that where you're just basically looking for the words to explain how it makes you feel to be pointed out as a woman and be treated as though it's more so strange that you're in the space than you're an equal or you're a coworker or whatever it is.
1: And did that come as a surprise to some of your male coworkers that women felt like this? Or do you think they I were, think, s- uh, they had to be somewhat aware? No? I mean,
0: it's one of those situations where until someone points it out to you, you're not really thinking about the words you're using, that they might be offensive, okay. that yeah. they might make you uncomfortable, um, and how sensitive. Because it's, at the end of the day, each person is their own individual. And I could be offended by something that this woman over here doesn't care about or vice versa. Um, And so it's totally depends on who you're talking to. But that's the whole point with all these discussions outside of gender. Like, basically, we're talking about the patriarchy. Kyla referred to it in there. There's a group of people who have set the standard and dominated the conversation or steered the conversation forever, Um, And now is the moment where, you know, questions of race, questions of sexuality, questions of gender are coming up. And basically, because we haven't asked for it, it's like this stumbling process where you're really groping to find the right words to express what it feels like day to day. Because obviously we've all learned to cope, and obviously we've all learned how to be functioning members of society. But if... There's a way to improve the situation for everyone. Won't we all be more productive? Won't we all be more creative? Won't we all be making more money for ourselves or for the people at the? Uh, yeah, if if I'm not stressed out, I'm a better employee, you know.
1: And I, I, you mentioned sort of unless you're aware of it, and I and sort of bringing. Um, more awareness to men and to people like you say that have dominated the conversation whether knowingly or not exactly so I mean you guys mentioned that sort of the importance of having these conversations or bringing men into the conversation or having these conversations in front of men as well Mm -hmm.
0: and there was one man who wasn't working at the event um, the other night and yeah no one batted an eye everyone was happy to see him there Um, also understanding why there weren't more, I guess, um, with a name like the Women's Hospitality League. But um, that's the whole thing. And it's a situation... I I think the tone in the room was that, yes, men should be involved in these discussions. It'll only kind of actualize if there are (laughs) the counterparts that we're um, working with are aware of our needs and and all that sort of stuff. But I think where it is a foundational... um, discussion and we're just getting the words like I was saying you need a moment um you and I were talking about this before um the idea of the gaze the male gaze um and what happens when you're surrounded by people who have brought up to be confident to say whatever they think or give their two cents or, or whatever in school, in university, in work, any public space. Um, there is an effect. There's a little chill that happens where women's ideas historically have not been valued to the same degree. And so a learning process happens that you just stop offering your perspective, because it's not valued. Um, And so it is important to have this space and have um, time for women to kind of have those conversations without a male presence in the room, just because they need to be comfortable finding the words. Um, But like I said, it doesn't get anywhere without having them in the room eventually. So um i think that that's the future and and we're excited about that but yeah for the time being there's something powerful about just like kind of taking a load off and and figuring it out out loud and not worrying about what you're saying or um kind of self-censoring yourself in front of people does that make sense
1: it it yeah it does i think it does um so if you want to hear more of this conversation or sorry, if you want to hear the the entire conversation. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I did. They were gracious enough to let me record it. Um, It is in a bar and it's noisy and it's crazy, but um, I think it's an important discussion. I will be uh, cleaning it up and and we'll get it as an
1: extra stuffs. Okay, moving on. So Jess, Mm -hmm. uh, when was the last time you attended a corporate or industry event?
0: Um, well, I don't know. I think I normally work when these things happen, actually, but um, I guess it would have probably been a food one last summer or something
1: okay, but you you know how these events go, right? Mm-hmm. We've mm-hmm. all been to them, these sort of the servers handing out these like little bits of like vaguely ethnic. Fusion food, a little, yeah, and like there's usually a photo booth and like the little uh, mustaches on a straw for mm-hmm. people to pose mm-hmm. with. You know how that normally <laughs> yeah. goes, right? Yeah. You've been to them,
0: yes, yes, I do. So, Aimlessly grazing around yeah, a room. Exactly.
1: I I find the key is to, to find out where the food comes from.
0: Oh yeah, no, I always station. And you close start to right there. there, and
1: and yeah, then yeah. you just go, oh, huh, oh, yeah, how
0: about oh that? you again. Uh. <laughs> I guess I could have one. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the
1: most fun thing usually about these events. But I spoke with someone from uh, an event company who's sort of using technology in yeah. concert with food to create more memorable experiences uh, at these kind of events. So okay. they uh, make lab is the, the name of the company and they specialize in 3D printing and laser cut technology, sometimes using food.
0: Okay. Interesting. Um, Should we just have a listen
2: then? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So
0: this is Brian in conversation with the creative director of MakeLab, Jonathan Mineta.
2: So we started off incorporating interactive fabrication technology in events. So this is where we were carting out our huge laser cutter to events and doing laser cut bow ties, or our fleet of eight 3D printers to an event and letting people design something and watching it print out in a few minutes uh, while they stand there and watch. And as we did that more and more, uh, and the events that we were being brought to were uh, large launches where there was already catering and food, we started to see a really great overlap. So we started incorporating uh, food with those very same technologies. So we would take our laser cutter, but instead of laser cutting wooden bow ties, we would etch uh, and caramelize uh, the sugar onto macaron. Uh, And with 3D printing, we would bring 3D printers that instead of extruding hot plastic and creating a hard object, we would use uh, buttercream or, uh, or icing or chocolate or Nutella. Uh, so we started getting those kinds of activations out our door and they've been really well received. Can
1: you um, sort of paint the picture for us for what one of the, uh, an event would be like and what uh, someone's experience would be like with this uh, sort of 3D printing? Like what, just sort of paint that, that picture of what that experience is.
2: Our 3D printing programs, uh, our, our 3D printing events are pretty well established. Um, we know how to do them. We do them all, a lot. Our 3D printing food events are something that's just coming off our line. So it's in development. We can certainly do it, but it's not as slick. Uh, when The way we imagine the uh, experience will, will be when we start running them regularly uh, is we'll actually incorporate a, a design experience. So people can, uh, on a, one of our uh, surface tablets, which we use uh, for our regular 3D printing programs, people will be able to come draw a shape, imagine a cookie cutter shape, a simple icing uh, doodle, if you will. Uh, and within minutes, they'll be able to watch uh, the 3D printer actually put that onto a cookie or a cupcake or an Nanaimo bar. Really anything with a really flat surface is ideal here.
1: And have you, I mean, you're saying this is sort of in development. Have you tested it at any events yet with the 3D printing or the 3D food printing?
2: We have, we have, and when we do it uh, with, uh, when we do it, we usually do it with an icing, um, which is just the right viscosity. It comes through the tube, but uh, remains relatively solid without having to heat it up or cool it down particularly fast. Um, the trouble with this, uh, this, this kind of thing is, you need something that will be. Um, Fluid enough to get through the tube and get through the machine but solid enough that once it escapes or is laid down It doesn't just totally like puddle or fall or or like just drip off the cupcake. So it's it's tricky There's a difference between getting it to work perfectly in our studio and getting it to work when a hundred people are watching live on site at the ROM or uh, you know any event venue Uh, everything makes A tremendous difference in 3D printing. The temperature of the room, the wind, if Mm -hmm. you're, you know, God forbid, doing it outdoor. Um, And especially with food, uh, which is a 3D printing material that is really hard to to replicate. Like, I can order uh, plastic a hundred times from a manufacturer and I will get the same plastic with the same material properties every time not so with buttercream from the store. It's actually can be a little bit different each time, especially if you want different colors or someone's got a food allergy and you have to cater to that. Um, so it takes a tremendous amount of testing. Uh, and 3D printing food can be super messy. It can look terrible. <laughs> so we have to get, we have to make sure that we're testing the the cookies precisely. And we've done it a hundred times and we can do it on command uh, and we are, are events team know exactly where the, the printer gets messy so that they can really like, almost suavely just jump in there and, and clean up the drippings after each, each cupcake so it just doesn't look like a disaster. So there's a little bit of showmanship towards it.
1: And what has been the reaction of, of people at these events to, to this 3D printed food?
2: Uh, pretty spectacular. Um, I think people just are not used to machines producing their food, period. Um, so they, it, it's, it's a curiosity, it's really exciting, they like being able to eat it immediately. Um, I think that as we do more and more, uh, we're going to end up having to up the game a little bit and actually 3D print objects that are truly 3D. Um, you can imagine cupcakes that have a castle on it, or something like really quite uh, high resolution and and beautiful and impressive. Uh, and we're starting to see 3D printers that can do that. Okay. Um, there are some sugar 3D printers uh, that will print a really intense structures, uh, but they're not fast. And everything we do in an event, of course, has to be really quick.
1: Where where else do you see sort of the future of this sort of? Uh, technology impacting food and sort of the experiential events that you guys uh, are a part of?
2: I think, the, I think the future of what we do at MakeLab is not necessarily in 3D printing or laser cutting, but in finding new and different, uh, a number of different technologies uh, to incorporate and see. You know, no one really thinks about 3D printing in food, no one thinks about laser cutting in food, which is why I think we get a lot of play. Um, and so I think our team is really drived about that. They're going to want to f- continue to find uh, new ways of using technologies that are not meant for food, <laughs> um, for food that's safe, really, that's safe, and of course, awesome.
1: I wanted to um, talk a little bit more about sort of people interacting with this at events. Um, you had mentioned, I think, at one point that you may be the world's. Uh, I don't, how did I? How did you put this?
2: We are absolutely the undisputed world leaders in teaching drunk people how to three D yeah. print and design. <laughs> yeah. I would say eighty percent of the people at the events that we're at are have done have had their first like first second or third cocktail. Um, so often our team has to figure out okay how do we train this person who not just has absolutely no experience in three D CAD or three D design but are a little bit off the rocker, yeah. uh, and we're really good at it. Uh, it's uh, it's really great. Um, we have a really good time doing it. People do as well, uh, and it's it's fun to see how the designs progress in creativity throughout the evening. Uh, and they don't get loopy and silly. They We find that often they get more intense and more detailed. Uh, at some events, we have to, you know, the drunker people tend to be, the longer they'll spend at it, and we have to pull them away from the experience so that we can have, you know, more people enjoy it.
1: I just sort of that, that image of, uh, you know, a bunch of drunk people sort of around a tablet, trying to, oh, it could be like this. It just seems like a sort of a fun experience. Um, Pop sales have sort of steadily declined for years and years. But in 2014, Coke released this sort of the personalized name bottles. And, you know, for something that's been in decline, I think their sales shot up almost 30% very quickly. So we've seen the impact. Is perhaps like personalized or custom food, do you really think we're going to see more and more of that?
2: I do well think about how much I mean there's the gimmicky stuff like uh I can order uh, alphagettis um, in just J for my name <laughs> uh, or particular shapes that are appealing to me or I can imagine ordering a custom craft dinner box that has just my face or my face of my family like those are you know hilarious and fun, but I think actually have tremendous market potential, but there's also perhaps the arguably just as gimmicky stuff of uh, nutritional value so um you know, Coke is personalized not to me not just because of my name happens to be on the packaging, but that is my Coke, right? That has the number of calories and the number of sweetness, uh, the, the kind of sweetness or the kind of nutritional value that is perfect for me. Um, and I can order my... Uh, y- I can order my health foods or health uh, you know, pastas or breads that has a that, I, that I've gone online and ordered, you know, specified the nutritional value of which uh, in very specific ingredients uh, or increments based on, I don't know, my DNA. <laughs> um, I can see that kind of thing being super, super popular with a whole lot of people for good reasons and for ridiculous reasons.
1: I can even see that, I mean, I mean that food could be linked to, uh, health tests that you get that say, Oh, I am low in vitamin D, and autom- automatically, you know, that gets added to your food. That's really interesting. Well,
2: but think about how many um, pharmaceutical companies make their money by incentivizing doctors to push their particular products. Food companies don't get any of that directly. Like, they get it maybe being organic, and certain people need that kind of thing, but imagine. Oh my goodness! I'm scaring myself about the potential here, but you know, imagine food companies sending samples to doctors, saying, "Okay, you've you have someone who," and this is a actual serious example, but you know, I can imagine uh, me, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, perhaps getting diabetes later in life, and my doctor uh, goes to me and says, "Hey, here's some of the medications. Here's how to manage your disease. Here's your glu- glu- glucometer, um, but here are also a couple of brands that you know and love." Uh, that, are, that, that can be customized according to my prescription. So enjoy your pasta that you, that you know and love, but uh, go online and enter this particular this code based on the prescription that I've set and the basic nutritional limits, and you can customize your pasta in your way, or you can customize your bread. Um, and I can sort of make those very, uh, uh, those very specific customizations that have very real health impacts uh, on me. I can imagine that it's probably a huge upcoming market.
1: Another market i'm I'm sort of interested in, and you sort of you mentioned sort of drunk people I- interacting with uh, the three d f- food printing. I'm wondering with uh, legalization of marijuana coming in and more uh, concentration of uh, using uh, marijuana as a potentially uh, for its health benefits, of how you can see uh, that market being uh potentially big for not just everyone but specifically with what with what you're doing have you looked into that do you, th- you see that as uh, a pen- a potentially uh lucrative market or an interesting market for you guys to get into
2: uh for us in particular i'm not sure as a lucrative market in general for sure uh, i think you're going to find um you know, cannabis medicinal ingredients in every single product it can possibly be in within the next ten years. Uh, from a a food side, I think it presents some really interesting th- uh, stuff. Uh, from a design and branding perspective, uh, I, I think even last week, um, Surface Magazine. Uh, you can go to SurfaceMag.com. I think um, was just talking about a what they called a high design. Uh, a branding competition, so they asked a bunch of really established uh, marketing firms or packaging firms to develop uh, packaging for imagined products, and you look at it, and that is the future. That is what you're going to see in a year. You're going to see very accessible, uh, um, welcoming um, brands come on the market with all sorts of uh, you know, marijuana-related stuff. Um, In our business, I mean, sure. (laughs) I mean, we could just use, uh, we could do the same kinds of things, but perhaps, uh, uh, you know, with weed-infused stuff, whether it's um, uh, marijuana, buttercream, uh, or laser-cut macarons made with those ingredients. Um, I wonder what else we could do that's specific to marijuana and not just something that's, uh, or not just use the same things we use, but with that ingredient. Um, We'll see.
1: Coming in uh, 2017 to MakeLab potentially.
2: Sure, absolutely, count on it. We'll we'll work on it for you.
1: Jonathan, thanks so much. Appreciate it.
2: Yeah, my pleasure. It was great. It. Thank you.
1: That was
0: Brian speaking with Jonathan Manetta from MakeLab. I mean, honestly, it's sc- a little bit creepy that party was saying at the end there about doctors prescribing you food from the internet that is perfect for you. I don't know. I was creeped out.
1: It's creepy and it's exciting. Um, I can see a positive to it, but I can also see it going uh, really far. And when you have that kind of technology and you combine it with brands, that's the I think that's what it is. A doctor who is like responsible in bed with health. the brand
0: or something. I don't know. Hey, it's I happening know. with drugs. We I know. don't question it, right? But but
1: I mean I think there's a lot of very big obstacles that need to um, uh, be navigated before something like that comes into play. We know how much um, groups like the FDA and in mm. Canada we have regulatory bodies that look at what is in food. So mm-hmm. to open up the doors and just say we can put anything in here, I think there's there's a lot that needs to happen before right. that happens. This but, is way down the line, but, but the technology still. is there, and I think like eventually we'll get to the the part where it, you know, it almost makes no. Economical difference to a company um, because it's all factory made food, anyway. I think for now, like we can (laughs) say that um, it's a fun. It's it's really just sort of a fun. I do like thing. the
0: image of drunk people getting more serious about what they're drawing on these yes. <laughs> iPads. That's a pretty good image, um, and stoners too. of yeah, course. I think,
1: well, we're not far away. <laughs> like we're talking, we're like probably you know less than eighteen months away from this being a reality, and you can bet. That uh, food companies, <laughs> that event companies, will be all over Cabinizing. this market. Yeah, and that know, is probably the better, Yeah. Well, we talked true. about that in our uh, episode last year about juice and cannabis. How the some of the states um, in the U.S. that have legalized uh, uh, marijuana there's really interesting things happening with food and and cannabis and they are are using it as an ingredient. Um,
0: And with all these dispensaries popping up, I keep hearing about the variety of things and, uh, You know, and widening the market from not just catering to, as I refer to them, stoners, um, but also, you know, people who are gearing up to get off of pharmaceuticals and instead be using Mm -hmm. what do we call them? Nutraceuticals. Right. Um, And using the compounds that are good for certain diseases or treating certain conditions Mm -hmm. um and delivering them in a different way because obviously not everyone wants to smoke things or
1: and not everyone wants to get high yeah exactly um, we know that exists already and the juicing was an example of that That here is a non-psychoactive so uh, i can absolutely see um you know foods being made and available in cafes and restaurants and again at corporate events. At, yeah, corporate
0: events, at corporate events, corporate events, <laughs> make your own weed cookie. Yeah, where <laughs> it's
1: it's really it's about oh here's a a, a, a weed muffin that is uh, will reduce your inflammation or uh, reduce uh, that is nausea a very specific corporate event. <laughs> <laughs> well, the point is, I think it's, it's going to be everywhere. It's going to be at uh, these uh, fun events like uh, what uh, Make Lab is throwing, and it's going to be maybe the way of the future. At, maybe it'll be at Tim Hortons. Weird. All all right that is cool that's it for another episode of foodstuffs
0: and um, I just wanted to take a second to update everyone about a story that we had done last season. Um, last summer, when I was in Halifax, I met with Josh Bates from the mayor's office and Heather Monaghan from Nova Scotia Public Health um, to discuss plans for the mobile food market uh, getting off the ground in the Halifax Regional Municipality. Do you remember that?
1: Yes, I do. And and now they were planning, I think, a pilot program for something like six communities in Halifax? Yeah,
0: yep, exactly. And that's what the update is regarding. Um, so on May fourteenth before our next episode launches, the first two communities will start their test run of the mobile food market, and those are in North Preston and East Preston. Um, so this is exciting. I'm curious yeah optimistic that uh, this program will will see some success in these communities but I'm looking forward to seeing how it goes and I plan on checking in with the community organizers um, that would have been brought on in each of these communities about the progress of the program and and just seeing how well they do at tailoring the product to the needs of the communities involved so um, looking forward to hearing about it and, and learning more
1: absolutely Okay, um, so we should do our, our thanks this yes, week. Yes,
0: yes, for sure. So thanks this week. I would love to thank Kyla Zanardi. I would love to thank Christine Flynn for introducing us. I would love to thank everyone who was involved in the Women's Hospitality League the other night. It was really wonderful. I had some great conversations um, and look forward to connecting with those women. And maybe you'll hear more about that later.
1: And once again, if you're interested in hearing the entire conversation... That will be coming. go to our SoundCloud. That'll be up as an extra stuff. Um, I would like to thank uh, Jonathan Manetta of MakeLab and all the people at MakeLab and also our friend Connie Sang for introducing us.
0: Yes, thanks, Connie. Um, thanks, as always, to Ken Stauer and Eric Betlam at CIUT. We wouldn't be here without you. We adore you.
1: And thanks to you for listening. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at FoodStuffsLife or by searching FoodStuffs on Facebook. You can always find us on the web at foodstuffs.life. You can download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or any other podcast app you could possibly dream of. And you can always stream us on SoundCloud.
0: Speaking of iTunes, make sure to stop by and give us a review, huh?
1: Yeah, please do. I'm Brian Goman.
0: And I'm Jessica Walker. Thanks so much for listening.
1: See you back here in two weeks.
0: Cheers. Okay, c'est bon